Hello and welcome back to Zapped to the Past and our look at the games that were reviewed in issue 6 of Zap 64. I am Adrian Mills and I am joined as always by Graham Raddings. Uh, last week we looked at our first batch of games from this issue and were sonically impressed with Monty on the Run, bored by the less than super Zaxxon and bewildered by the mix of genre horror in Vortron. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, then go and do so. If you have, then let's get on with things. Graham, what do we have to look forward to in this part? In this feast of an episode, we stuff our faces with a mane of Barry McGuigan's boxing, gulp down some arcade sound canapes with Rascal, choke on the angularly challenged Silu's side dish, and develop severe stomachache with out-of-date vegan attack dessert and its ghost chaser topping. On top of that, we take a cycling tour of French bus stops, get bored of more island capers, and debate the merits of spider-collecting diamonds. You might want to give that a courtesy flush. Great. I do just want to bring up one thing. And uh, the people who have read this issue of Zap, uh, they may be wondering if we were going to be covering a couple of Sizzlers that did appear in this issue. And they are Racing Destruction Set, I think it is, and Pinball Construction Kit. Uh, we've made a decision not to cover them because essentially they're, they're kind of game creation engines type things and not really games in and of themselves um, and obviously the enjoyment from them comes from what you create and so me and Graham sat here chatting about how we put a track down and how we put pinball tables together probably wouldn't be the most interesting thing so we've decided you know we are going to look at ready-made games and that's why they're not featured um, in this part in this issue or this episode uh, of Zap to the Past sorry if you're expecting them but we're not going to talk you know talk about them because they're just not really within our remit of what we want to do okay um, anyway let's move on our first game in this part is a boxing game, Barry McGuigan's World Championship Boxing. Now, I have very, very, very fond memories of this game. I played this a lot. As soon as that music came on, I was straight back. I it, 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 uh, Even before it, even before this game loaded up sort of thing, my brain twi- twigged in and I was going, dude, it was, it was happening because I played so much of it and it was just a catchy little tune. So Barry McGuigan, it's a boxing game. It's a side-on boxing game. So it's not your punch-out viewpoint. Um, it's not your uh, Frank Bruno's boxing viewpoint from behind the boxer. Uh, this is a side-on, you know, away the exploding fist viewpoint, you know, boxing game. So you have two fighters in a ring moving profile left to right. And they're punching each other. Profile, thank you. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. If that's what it is. And okay, it's a, it's a boxing game, but there's there's quite a bit more to this. So we we talked about, was it Knockout from Alligator? A few, a few issues, a few episodes back. And we really didn't like that sort of thing because, well, it was bloody awful. That's why. This, on the other hand, I still think is a really pretty decent boxing boxing game there's a lot to like here and there's a lot going for it so there's a lot more to this as well in that essentially this is like a career uh, a career game you start off as a, you know you design your own boxer there's some nice you know ability to design your own boxer you can be both black or white sort of thing although i did find it weird that if you were to be a black boxer you had no choice but to have black hair and and black black shorts which was kind of a bit weird choice whereas if you were a white boxer you could have all kinds of colored hair and all kinds of uh, colored colored uh, shorts so that was a bit odd looking back at it now sort of thing but you know at least there was the option which i think is for 1985 quite an interesting and quite a positive thing to see you could set your attributes so you could be a slugger or a bruiser or a dancer you know what type of boxer you want it to be i was never quite sure if that had some kind of impact but it, i think it did somewhere in the back at the back end of this and so then you went on to a career now you could choose to start at, at, at the bottom of the at the bottom of the rankings there was 20 boxes above you or 19 boxes above you uh, so 20 boxing total including yourself top of which is barry mcguigan himself or you could choose to start in the middle at, at 10 sort of thing so if you were pretty decent at the game already 
you could just jump in and get going. And then you picked picked a fight, so you could fight either of the two boxers that were above you in the ranking, so 18 or 19 if you started at number 20, or you, you, obviously at this point there's no one below you, so that, that you would choose one of those. You would then get a number of weeks to do some training. You would get to see how your, you know, your boxer stats and where you were weak or where you were strong. You would see your opponent where they were weak and where they were strong, and you could do some you could do some training, and you could assign weeks to different training. So you had light bag, heavy bag, weight, running, and, and, and another one I can't quite remember off the top of my head. And each of these would affect your stats in different ways. How many weeks you put into them would affect your stats going into the game. And you had so when you got into the fight itself, you had endurance, you had strength, and there's another one sort of thing. But uh, and essentially, the more you punched, the more your endurance would go down. The more, you know, you got punched, you, you know, you would lose strength. And so this was a quite, a, you know, you had to carefully manage your attacks when you wanted to punch. You don't control the movement left and right in the actual fight. The, you know, the game does it automatically for you. And depending on kind of how well you're doing, would move it to the left or to the right in the ring. There's quite a nice options with actual, you know, boxing moves you can do. So if the boxes are quite close up, you hold down the fire button and that does close punches. So you can do uppercuts or... You know, side, you know, roundhouses or you know, punching to the hook sort of thing. You can do jabs and do all that. If they're a bit further away, you take your finger off the fire button and there's longer punches, um, body blows, and you can put your gloves up. You can defend. You can leave them down, um, you know, around your waist to defend. Um, and it really does become a quite, quite a, a skillful blend of luring your opponent in and wearing them down these fights go on for some time and i still i enjoyed my time with this my boxing career you know i didn't go for the full boxing career it takes a while to go through a full boxing career something i had in in, in my youth um i wasn't able to do that now sort of thing but my boxing career saw me taking down uh i took down cannonball corby and john kid cutter uh which is quite good you know i took them out but then unfortunately boom boom barnet was was my uh was my uh, Waterloo, and so yeah, that that was you know that's it. It's a it's a, it's, it's a solid box, and it's got ninety one percent. It was a it was a sizzler, and deservedly so. This is I still think this stands up today. I enjoyed my time with it. You, I don't know, what did you think, Graham? Yeah, same. It's it's a nice tactical boxing game. This it's not a game where you can just go and slug it out, and um, because you'll just run out of endurance and you're just getting beaten down repeatedly. So you got to plan and think about things in this game, which really sets it apart, which actually makes it into a boxing game. Because if it was just a uh, Activision boxing where you went in the ring and just slug, 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 punch, 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 ding, 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 and it was like that, it would very quickly become dull. You have to play the tactics here, so you've got to train in the right way to, for the right kind of thing. You have to look at the stats of the fighters that you're going to fight. And this, this, It's a tactical boxing game, and, and the fun of, fun of this game comes in trying to get your boxer further up those, those rankings. So it's a lot cleverer than I gave it credit for when now I came to replay it. Um, I liked it originally, don't get me wrong. I remember playing it like you. For, I just played it for hours because it just seemed, the boxing seemed to be quite good. You know, it's got good graphics. They're not, t- not, not going to blow it's, anyone it, away. It's got a but, good single player campaign. Good. Yeah, it's a good single player campaign. You've got a goal. You can train the boxer in the way you want. You can design your boxer. As like you say, you have more options, weirdly, than in some instances than others. But the sounds are good. The music's quite good. It's, it's, it's rewarding. And you're rewarded in this game because... Because if you do take your time and think tactically and block at the right times and don't just go trying to beat the other guy to death in the first round and do to think about the longer game in this, you're going to get higher up those rankings to the point when you can actually take on Barry McGuigan himself, which is the kind of the purpose of it. And I think it was it's really good. 
I think it's probably one of the best boxing games on the Commodore 64 because it doesn't go down the whole stereotypical super punch-out type route with Slugger McGee and, you know, all the rest. I'm not, I'm not going to say the stupid real names that are in that game, but uh-huh. you get the idea Get the idea that it's not that kind of thing. And f- for me, it was a step above. It was a proper boxing game. It actually felt like you were training a boxer in there as well as sort of doing all of that. I really liked it, and yeah, I, I still do. It, it, to me, it's just like, in those sort of early sort of rounds, like I said, you, you're fighting Cannonball, Corby, Joe, John Kid Cutter, Boom Boom Barn. It's kind of joke names, but it, it, there was like echoes, and it not obviously not fully sort of thing but echoes of like the start of Rocky the film you know yeah. that, that sort of you know when he's in the opening fight in Rocky when it's in that sort of small ring and there's not many people around and you're, you're low down and you're just fighting locally and that mm. kind of thing it feels like that it feels like you know a, a journey towards getting to it because Barry McGuigan let's not let's not forget Barry McGuigan was a big deal in the 80s he was a big British oh, boxer yes. you know was he middleweight I think it was middleweight world or, champion or fe- wasn't he? featherweight flyweight I can't remember what he was but he was world champion he was, uh, yeah, sure. was he lightweight I can't remember like might be I, I, can, I will find Find out. Find out. Um, so he was a big deal sort of thing. So fighting your way to get to Barry McGuigan felt like a, a tactical adventure rather than a punch-punch punch punch dodge dodge punch punch this was like you had to think about where do I put my I've got 12 weeks of training where do I need to strengthen myself where do I need to put something energy in for the person that I'm about to fight where can I outmatch them it says he's got really strong endurance okay so I need to put some you know into road work you know I need to go out on the road lot to get my endurance up to match him in that and and, and that was there was a really good feel to it and it, the graphics are nice the, the, the boxes look good it's a really solid boxing game and like, I think you're right it's you know it stands out there's not much like this most of them went down the you know a really sort of a bit more arcadey bit more sort of or went down the punch out route um, and this did its own thing and I think it made a good choice in actually playing to the strength of the of the platform which was like you're going to be sat at home playing this for quite a while rather than just be shoving tempe you know you know on a console um and and it's really good it is really good and still to this day is really good i agree completely he was a featherweight wba featherweight champion world champion featherweight that's it yeah and yeah so very successful boxer and and um quite a successful overall successful guy he still is a boxing promoter as well as many other things just yeah. so you know um, but um he was very popular with with irish because he was from Ireland, obviously, but he was very popular in both sides, in in, in Ireland and in Britain. He's a very popular boxer. So it was, it was an actual Activision game, wasn't it? Yes, I think it was actually. Yeah. So no, it was. It's what can you say? It, you know, there isn't there isn't a great deal of pickings when it comes to boxing games on the Commodore sixty four. So when they do come out. Um, when were, this one was a really good one, and I think it would you, you're gonna it would have taken a lot. I don't I don't know of any off the top of my head that actually I played any more certainly played any more than this in terms of boxing sort of boxing games. It's certainly better than the other really awful one we played by miles. So. Knock knockout, yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, so so it's much better than that. And the viewpoint for this game, I quite like that profile boxing. You know, you don't it, it's got the controls in it are good. It's a good game all in all. And like I say, this is a tact. It's it's a tactical game as well as a boxing game. It feels like a boxing game, not just a punch out and i think that's what makes it a lot better yeah it's like so, it's kind of for me it, anyway like i said it's got a it's got a low-key feel to it it doesn't yeah, try it doesn't, it doesn't try and like over the top and a sort of thing it just feels like a down-to-earth boxing game like you're going Absolutely. you're going in grubby what feel they feel a bit grubby and punching each other and trying to sort of outlast and it's that thing about trying to outlast which so many of these yes. sort of fights sort of you know fall fall down into and whereas in other games it feels like when you can land a big punch and this doesn't feel like that yeah so good we like uh, Baron Wiggins World Championship Boxing it certainly deserves that sizzler rating so yes. yeah go play it good stuff up next 
is uh, a uh, cheap game, two ninety nine. I don't mean cheap in that way. It's a two pound ninety nine. It's a budget game. Um, so our next game is Rascal. R A S K E L. Um, Rascal. Graham, do you want to uh, have at this one? What did you think? What was your take on this? Now this got a very strong review in the magazine. So this got eighty percent, something like that. I didn't. Yeah, it did. I personally didn't think it was that good. It's an attempt at a defender type game, essentially. So it's got kind of the defender style spaceship defender kind of mechanics, more defender than more defendery styling than Drop Zone did. However, it's blockier and less fun and a bit weird. So so I would rather have played Drop Zone if I'm going to do that. It's got some nice sounds and graphics. The graphics are okay. The sounds are quite arcade. It's got an arcade feel. Um, but it just lacks a bit of polish and a bit of like it's a bit like luster and there's not a lot of lot of enemies in it so you feel a little bit it just feels that there's not as much fun as in this as there would be if you play drop zone so it's colorful but it just ain't defender you know it just kind of wants to be and it ain't quite there there's not enough enemies it's not quite fast enough it doesn't quite have the pace and it's not as much fun as drop zone so that was my take on it how it got 80 percent, i don't know yeah i think maybe the price played into that sort of thing I, I, I it put, is cheap I put, yeah i give you that it is cheap it is 2.99 i put yeah i put like it's a defender knockoff it's okay the thing what i did really like was i thought i had and i think you mentioned it so it's got really good sound effects yeah yeah so it really, sounds great you know, really good it sounds great sounds. really 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 powerful like, broop, broop, yeah, lots yeah, of, yeah. like broop, bloops and whoops and, and it's yeah. like oh this this sounds great looks looks pretty rough though and my problem with it was it had kind of indistinct controls yeah but it's got indistinct controls of wobbly bullets yeah. you know like in defend in defender sort of thing you fire that big laser you know the boosh, boosh, you, you know yeah, what's yeah. going on and this and this it's like i don't know what, if i'm shooting or i'm not and there's not stuff stuff wobbling around and uh it's not what's needed. No. Defender needs to be precise. Yes. It's got to be spot on. Otherwise, yeah. and drop drop zone is spot on. We said this in our we said this in our review of it. Yeah, it's you know precise controls. This simply is not. And, and, and it in, drops in, in this doesn't genre, do that kind of reversey zoom across the screen thing that this tries and fails at, which Defender does yeah. do, which is fine in arcade. But we said you don't need that in this kind of game, and here it's not done very well. So. Just makes it feel like it's more more awkward to control than it should be. Yeah, yeah. I could see, you know, if you bought this for three quid, you'd probably get some enjoyment out of it. But going back to now, you know, go play Drop Zone. Mm. Um, not to not rascal. It's not a bad game. It's just up against stiffer competition. Um, you know, when you've got access to all of these sort of things, and I think that you know, it's nice to listen to. That's the great thing. <laughs> That's the only good thing really about it. I really like how it sounded. Really nice sound effects. But um, I can't really say much more about it than that. Yeah. No. There we go. So that's Rascal. Um, we've got another budget title up next. It was Battle uh, of the Budgets, wasn't it? Ba- Battle of the Budgets, yes. Actually, all three of these are budget titles. In this this is not Battle of the Budgets, because that would be Jeff Capes <laughs> would win, because one thing you don't know about Jeff Capes is that he bred super budgets, but that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> it's a true fact. He did, he bred super budgets. Budgets that were bigger than your regular budgets. He fed them other budgets. That's a true fact. You can, you can look that up. How, someone said to him, how, do you, how are your budgets so big, Jeff? And he said, no word of a lie, I feed them other budgets. That makes them stronger and bigger. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Just as an aside. <laughs> anyway, back, anyway, you were saying. <laughs> next week on uh, Jeff Capes' facts you never wanted you to, never knew you wanted to know. Uh, next week, we'll talk about Jeff Capes' uh, other big animals. <laughs> uh, but before that, before that, let's talk about Silu. I presume you pronounce it Silu. I don't know. C Y L U. Uh, Silu. Um, like Cylon, I guess. Uh, so this yeah. is a two pound fifty title. Okay, so what do we say about Silu? You know, uh, you know those games. Um, you, you know those games. You know those games by Ultimate on the Spectrum. 
you know, those mm. those guys, those isometric adventures, your Night Laws and your, your things like that, and your um, what were the other ones sort of thing? Bat- Batman uh, was another one, and there was loads of them, Head Over Heels, um, yeah. and all these kind of um, you know isometric games that people liked and stuff like that. So Silo, strangely enough, and, and this, to be fair, the C64 doesn't have a lot of these. Um, it, did, it, it didn't have a lot of these kind of isometric sort of fl- you know flick screen collectathons. Um, it didn't have a lot. So Silo is interesting, and it's two pound fifty. It's an isometric ultimate style adventure. But it has angles that hurt the brain because you know from an isometric point of view you know everything should be you know you either it's, it's a essentially it's a square so if you push up it should go up in a certain direction everything should be 90 degrees from each other silu doesn't do that <laughs> silu has push up and you go perhaps about 75 degrees from from pushing left and about 115 degrees from pushing right which at this point i think I'm, i couldn't i couldn't work it out so when you push up to go further, it's all over the place and, and it started to really hurt my head. I, I wandered around for a bit um, because it's one of them. You know, you've got you've got to find stuff and collect stuff and solve puzzles. So I wandered around a bit and I died really quickly because I ran out of fuel. I ran out of fuel because I kept walking into stuff because I couldn't work out the perspective. Um, so I couldn't get round things, um, which made me walk into stuff, which made me obviously held me up. And I, I didn't know what fuel I was supposed to be collecting. I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing. It just looks like a, 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 a spectrum game with angles that hurt my head. My review says angles that hurt my head about four times. It's what I've written down here. And I put the title screen is horrible. Um, so when this boots up, there's too much text and flashing colors. We mentioned this in um, Finders Keepers, uh, whereas they had a penchant for like running colors through letters or through things like for that kind of cyclic effect. Um, mm. And this title screen, which has only normal uh, normal size font, just has loads of them. And I was like, oh, looking at it was just a... Yeah. If you suffer from any kind of epilepsy, don't look at this title screen, for God's sake. For, for a couple of quid, you know, there's probably quite a lot of game here and stuff like that, but, you know, it just hurt my head. I couldn't I couldn't get into it. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I don't know. I don't know. There just seems to be a lot here, sort of thing, but without any kind of quality control on on it or anybody looking at it to de- to decide that this probably needs some more work and sort them angles out. Yeah, quite agree. I agree with everything you said. <laughs> it's angular issues are one thing for sure. Um, so you've got to wander around this maze with the inability to walk in direct straight lines anyway, which is always problematic in an isometric world. You have to collect these 24 objects that have been hidden, bring them back and teleport around and all the usual kind of stuff you'd expect in this, but it's all monocolor type thing. It's not very attractive to look at. This play area is quite small and scrunched up and there's weird kind of object holding and moving and picking up and dropping and just just tedious, 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 tedious. I got, from the minute I saw that loading, that, that first screen, I was like, oh, you know what, there's a lot of high res on that. I thought this is going to be one of those games that's done in a super high res, which means it's going to either be really slow or there's not going to be much moving around or both. And I was, you know, presented with exactly what I expected. So, you know, there's no interest for me in this there's loads of games like this and they're always better on other platforms and so when it comes to the commodore 64 that thankfully there's not like you said at the start there's not that many of these and that's a good thing because when there are too many of these they just become rubbish like this one is no thank you um i played it i didn't play it for ages i played it for long enough to get the gist I, i couldn't quite get where i wanted to be the controls were just stupid and in the end, I got so frustrated with it. I was like, you know, there's a reason why I don't play these isometric games, and the Silo is the reason. You know, this is—I'm not sure why it's what you are. Apparently, that's your name. You are Silo the Warrior King. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, in, in the land of Evol. So that's E V O L, by the way. 
Anyway, I didn't uh, persevere in the land of evil and I left the people leaderless because I couldn't be bothered to stagger around aiming to the right when I was actually kind of veering <laughs> off to the left um, all the time. And in the end, I just got... I hate rotational control. Stop doing that. You know, if I'm isometric, up, down, left and right just needs to do that. Not necessarily up, but obviously in that direction. I don't need to go click, 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 right. I need to turn 270 degrees to do this. It's just no fun doing that. I don't need that kind of mm-hmm. control pressure. Just, you know, there's a joystick that's got eight directions on it. It's not how to make it go in eight directions then, really. You know, at a push, four. But what I don't need is to have to sort of rotate it to the angle, push it forward a bit. And, you know, it weirdly, it felt a bit like watching somebody trying to control somebody. Do you remember that TV show um, Nightmare, where the kid would <laughs> put on a blind helmet and the people would be guiding and going walk six paces forward and he'd always walk slightly off to the left and you're like no no take a micro step to your right turn 15 you know and it was like that you're like forever thinking just you need to meet you're not going quite straight mate you, oh forget it Silo, you stupid idiot you're no king get away and then you run out of fuel go back to your go back to your non-warrior king lifestyle Silo. if that's your real name yep yeah 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 so goodbye Silo. never never come back again no yeah it's it's yeah there's, you know, the C64 is not the home to the isometric flick screen adventure, is it? Um, no. And this is the reason why. There you go. I'd never played this before. I'd never even heard of it. You'd heard of it before? No, it hadn't come across my path. No, that's no probably, I wish it hadn't. Yeah, there's probably a good cause on it. I mean, if it's a good game, we'll yeah. probably have heard or played of it. But, you know, yeah. but this is not one of them. So, Silo, so long. So long, Silo. And, of course, remember, and it was another classic Firebird release, and we've already spoken about their QA processes. You know, know, that it's thrown into it's thrown into a room with a hamster, and the hamster goes in the wheel, and they all scribble furiously. When in the wheel, that means release it at two and a half. It's a great game. What, what QA? Review, that's <laughs> say what QA well, processes? Yeah, that's how they do it. At Firebird. It's the hamster test. Does well, the hamster it, go in the wheel? Oh, don't, re- don't no, release no, no. it yet. They give it to the Firebird. They have a room with a Firebird in it, and if the Firebird <laughs> doesn't eat it, then it gets released. That's what happens. <laughs> If you don't, exactly. If you don't feed on smaller firebirds, which is how uh, <laughs> how you beat Jeff Capes. You know, there's a classic company that had a great logo, but not, not not a lot of great product. No, terrible. There we go. Let's move on. All right. So, what's our last game uh, in this section? Um, <laughs> Graham, over to you on this one. Uh, the Curiously titled Vegan Attack. <laughs> <laughs> right, and we're back to that short straw thing again. <laughs> this is, the, uh, admittedly, this is the shortest of the straws. So, <laughs> But I don't know that before we review them. I don't... I, I initially read it as Vegan Attack, <laughs> and I thought, this, so this could have some merit. I'm not sure what that would even look like. Vegans weren't around in the 80s, as far as I remember it. Um, but anyway. Mm, no. Nah. Well, it's vegetarian to wear, but it was just that one. Yeah, anyway, it's, it's Vegan Attack. The Vegans are attacking. Um, and so it's, <laughs> it's, for want of a better description, some kind of Star Trek-like battle grid graphics so mm-hmm. like a like a graphic depiction of a space battle scene with dots and representation of spaceships a bit like i imagine how you would draw how you would draw it's like almost like a paper-based game where you would draw a bit like battleships where you draw a grid based sort of thing and you'd put your spaceships and your whatever's on it and then you command your vessel one of the description with text mm-hmm. commands so you type in these text commands and i had to go and google this game to find the text commands if you're really that interested in Vega Attack, go do what I did and do that. And then you can put the text commands in. It pretty much, not many of them seem to work in the way I expected it to. I wasn't sure really <laughs> what I was meant to be doing. I think I was meant to be trying to battle things. I couldn't quite uh-huh. get to a battle. So 
there was lots of reading. It seemed to be I just to read more than doing this game. And I just got, I got so fed up with that. I'm like, what, what are you? You know, <laughs> what, what is this game about? What, what am I looking at? What am I doing? So it kind of had, a, all I can say is a basic Star Trek vibe. And I'm only saying Star Trek because um, this main spaceship that on the grid, the battle screen, such as it was, was a tiny little spaceship that looked a bit like the Starship Enterprise. So it had like a big disc and a, and a stick. Mm-hmm. So I thought, <laughs> Maybe that's what this is about. That's as far as I got into it. I lasted about five seconds after trying a different commands, trying to get it to do something. It was so basic and it just bombarded me with loads of stuff to read. And I'm like, this is not an attack of anything other than my patience. I just kind of, I thought, no, you know what? We're getting towards the end of 1985 now. Monty on the Run, I've played Monty on the Run already and I've played Barry McGuigan's Boxing. I'm not no longer wasting my time with these crappy, bloody rubbish games. Again, I, have a feeling it was, I had a feeling it was written in basic. Could be wrong but it had that kind of vibe about it. And I'm thinking, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, because it takes, you know, real skill to be able to cram all that into the basic. But you know what? Just play it on your own. Don't release it to the rest of the world. Keep it to yourself. You know, admire yourself in a mirror every day and go, you know what? Vagan Attack is great. <laughs> Just don't ever torture me with it. Did you get anything out of this game other than a frustrating level of eye strain from that green? No, I... I, I, I... I mean, this is a, a, a genre of game. I mean, I, I, I quickly sort of read the review in, in Zap, and it's a it's a trek. They call it a trekky game. Um, this was very popular back on like the uh, pets and you know things that you come up. Yeah, old, old old sort of you know PCs and and yeah, I looked at the uh, controls as you did sort of thing because I, I got bored sort of thing with typing move look shoot and nothing happening yeah um and then when i looked up it was like, oh, two two letter commands i was like all right okay so i started again and I, and I did actually get myself moving although it was weird how you know you could move across the grid and i did blow a few things up but it, it's just a, it's just a paper-based board game in it you yeah. know it's just a grid that you could play with some tiles on a bit of paper yeah um you know i'm going to move my ship three paces but oh something's come on i'm going to shoot that you know it's, it's it's a tabletop, you know, um, sort of battle game, war game thing done in basic visuals. There's, there's little much to be said about this. You might really like these kind of strategy, weird like strategy game sort of thing. But, you know, we got 19% in Zap. Even they, I think, were just so bored of this kind of thing. To be releasing this in the, you know, the end of 1985. And as you said, sort of thing, not even that sort of thing. We've just played summer games too. <laughs> you know, we've just played... You know, we played Pit Stop 2. We played Way of the Exploding Fist. This isn't a case of, you know, this could, this is all right. It's, it's all about the playability, mate, because you haven't got any. No, it's it's, an, it's a big, it's a very, 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 very big no. No, just this shouldn't happen. What's the, what, what is to be said about this it is the most basic of genres that released in a time when this thing shouldn't be happening. No, exactly. And it, it borrows so much from so many great sci-fi shows and just throws them into this nightmare. Mm-hmm. So you've got Star Dates, you've got Quadrants, you've got Plasma Bolts, you've got little spaceships look like Starship Enterprise-ish. You've got little TIE fighter things. You've got blobs, yeah. you've got this, you've got that. You've got red alert statuses. Yeah, everything's two-letter commands. It's just, you know what? I imagine that there's probably a real niche market for this in a similar way 
later. This is in fact this is how I imagine that you know this is the eight bit equivalent of Warhammer. So there's probably people, yeah, that, I mean. there's people yeah, who love Warhammer. Exactly. Don't get me wrong, but you know I would think every war, if you said to somebody, would you rather play this text version of Warhammer or play it with your mates on a big table with the little miniatures and all that? It's a no brainer what's going to happen. So this is just a yet another yeah. game where somebody should have been stopped halfway through <laughs> the development and go stop what you're doing because nobody likes that. Same way that Glider Pilot should have that guy should have no someone should have said to him. You make the glider game. Don't ever do that. <laughs> don't so, do that. Don't, just um, don't don't do it because you know don't call it vegan attack. Because if, if you look at the c- the cover for the cassette, which we'll put on the website so you can see what I'm talking about, this portrays a game of frantic, blasting sci-fi action that is so far removed from what this game is. It's beyond belief. <laughs> the, the, yeah. All of those things I've described are nothing to do with this game. This is you know this is the equivalent of it's. I tell you what it's like. You know when you go to the opticians and they have them little dots and they say, can you, which dots are the brightest? The ones and the red ones or the green ones? It's that. It's just one of them. Yep. It's like it's like an eye test. It's like going for an eye test. And it's you know, and in all fairness, at least in an eye test, you have the benefit of getting glasses at the end of it, which might make your eyesight better or you know, in his interaction. This is just dull, lifeless shite. Utter yeah. rubbish. As, as a trekker game, make it no. <laughs> Very good, yeah. yeah. This is no Star Trek game. <laughs> Luke Picard, John Luke Picard, would smash his own eyeballs out uh, <laughs> if he saw this. He would. He'd be just. He'd just explode into a soliloquy of rage. Absolutely. Not even Kirk, Hugh would play this. Well, even Spock would find this frustrating. You know, he's a logical guy. He'd hate it. He'd be like, no, no, I'm you know, find me, find me some kind of. You know, I'm going to travel back in time in that spaceship like we did <laughs> to get the whales. I'm going back to 1985. I'm going to murder that guy. Just get rid of that game. Yeah, this no. game is illogical. It, it would. It is. It would anger Spock. That, and that's just a lot about this game because that guy doesn't get angry about much does he so and bones bones would just find him and kill him well he's a doctor not a game player <laughs> <laughs> that's the nerdiest trick joke ever and, and, i've had uh, more, more fun out of these puns than i did out of this game put it that way yeah exactly yeah if you want to move dots around don't play this just go and move some dots draw draw something go and draw yeah yeah. Go draw. Anyway, yeah. so there we go. That's our games for this section. We started out well with Baron Wiggins World Championship Boxing. We wobbled around in Rascal. We wandered off at a wrong angle in Silo, and then we wondered what the hell was wrong with things with Vegan Attack. Let's move on. Let's talk about films when we come back after this short break. <laughs> Right, we're back. So we're going to look at film and TV, uh, October 1985. What was going on? Um, not a lot in the world of TV, uh, and I do mean that. We're going to actually, I'm going to say one thing. There's one thing that happened that was of any interest that I could find, and this was on 3rd of October that Roland Ratt, we've mentioned him before many a time, who saved Alien TVM, transferred to the BBC. The scoundrel. <gasps> I know. Commenting on the movie, says, I saved TVM, and now I'm here to save the BBC. This, I mean, it's a rat. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just a puppy rat. Well, is, is, is it? Is is it, is it actually a puppet or is it a guy in a suit? No, it's not that big. I don't, I don't <laughs> to know. Qu- to, to, to quote Excalibur, it's not that big. I, I don't remember. I, I remember Roland Rat. I just no, don't. I can't, I, is that a man I with a it, hand? I, is that a hand up, a pan puppet, I, essentially? I, I think it's a. I could be wrong, but my inter- I always thought it was a battle brush type thing. Really? I suppose you never I see his legs, so. do you? you know, why am I even debating? Nah. Who cares? You know, if it ain't sooty, it doesn't matter. No, absolutely. I mean, sooty is the king of all glove puppets. Sweep. Let's, <laughs> now, come on. Now, Sut is okay, but he is a mute. Sweep is the one. Actually, I'd always go with Sue. Well, you have to go with Sue, don't you? She's nice. I do, but, yeah. That's but, just nice, yes. But no, <laughs> S- S- Sweep is my favourite hand puppet of all time. Um, 
just for what, just for that one episode where he keeps saying, "Is it an aubergine?" And just for our listeners, he actually has a list. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually going to put that video clip somewhere on the website for for those. I put the link on there just so people know what I'm talking about. But you know, maybe you just well, have better to be than a, better than. Um... Sippy and George. Yes. Well, I don't know what what exactly they are. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they're, they're two hand puppets. <laughs> Do you need well, both hands well, of them? <laughs> Uncle was definitely a guy in a bear suit. Yeah, Jeffrey was Jeffrey, but what George, was Zippy and George? Well, Zippy was a cushion, I think. You know what? I don't know. George was a <laughs> was pink he? hippo. Yeah, he was a cushion. I've never thought yeah. about what. Is it, I suppose he's got a zip. Yeah, he's, he's zippy. He's, he's got a zip. Yeah, weird. Imagine, like, so Rainbow, right? You've got Jeffrey, human, Bungle's a bear, and then you've got George, who's a hippo, mm-hmm. and then your next optional choice sort of thing is a cushion. I <laughs> Why suspect, not make another animal? Well, I suspect that that was all the material they had left. Because <laughs> you know, all the others have got more working parts. Zippy's just got like them flat, dead eyes, hasn't he? They don't, they don't blink yeah. or anything, do they? So he's just. But to be fair, I mean, Zippy was the star, wasn't he? Who's was A, Zippy? <laughs> that was during that during that phase where he had that stroke. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that, that fun couple of episodes where Zippy had a stroke and Bungle didn't know what to do. No one noticed because he had dead eyes. He did have dead eyes. It's like yeah, they tried to check test on him. They used to zip his mouth up, didn't they? If he got too gobby, like if yeah, he started getting, you know, it's a bit, like, it's a bit it's very kind of progressive. Abuse. It is really. It's quite progressive that you know. No, if you. <laughs> But um, very strange, anyway, very strange. Yeah, the, the world of glove puppets in children's TV from the eighties. Yeah, 80s. well, it, BBC had a habit. They were you know, they were, BBC had loads of them, didn't it? Had the Dorkin, Gordon the Gopher, and now, it, and of course, Roland Rat as well. It just, you know, they had the monopoly on hand puppets. They even had Sooty and Sweet. That was, that was BBC as well. So, who? Ah, but ITV. ITV had Emu, <laughs> the ultimate glove puppet. The ultimate glove puppet. Yeah, not even, I'm not even going down that road. That means talking about the pink windmill, and I ain't doing it. I ain't. No, I no, traumatized me that program as a child. Traumatized. There, there were films released. There were yes. films released in October. There were. Uh, 11th of October saw two films released. I'll just say the first one first. Sort of thing. So the first one um, is a film called Je vous salue Marie, oh. and that's my French accent. Have you ever heard of it? No. I did a little bit of research. Je vous salue Marie is actually called Hail Mary. It is yeah. a French erotic drama film written Ooh, and directed ooh, by, la, la. Your favorite, by your favourite, by your favourite Jean-Luc Godard. Uh, switch it off now. <laughs> it's a it's a, a modern retelling of the story of a virgin birth. Oh, of course it is. There's probably a scene in it where a goose gets strangled, someone falls off a ladder and hurts, <laughs> breaks a cup of tea. Uh, someone will be walking around, someone's just going to walk around with bacon over their eyes for no reason whatsoever. It's all part of the... Mystique of the Auteur. So. You're a big fan of French New New Wave, aren't you? The I, Nouveau I like, Vage. I like Weekend, and that's the only one I like. And there's a couple of these really weird black and white ones, Band Apart, stuff I don't like mind, that. They're all right. I don't mind Jules, Jules Ajim. Yeah, right. there's a couple, but you know, don't get wrapped up in the whole Jean-Luc Godard, the godfather of modernist cinema, because you know, just take your glasses <laughs> off, and it'll be clean, you know, and just you know, go and watch something else. Yeah, indeed, sort of thing. You could have watched instead of watching an erotic French drama uh, on the other end of the spectrum. You could have gone and watched The Black Cauldron. Mm, chirpy. Good Disney's, old, good old Disney's chirpy. The Black Cauldron. Now, this is um, one of the few Disney films. I, I have very few memories of this. Do you remember much about this? Because um, I remember uh, it I, being amazing animation, not much story, though. I don't remember there being a story about it. And I remember it more because they gave away loads of little plastic figures in all of the cereals, Kellogg's cereals at the time. So 
Oh, that's good. Good reason to remember anything, isn't it? It's merch through the cardboard, yeah, through the, through the but, medium of cereal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, that's basically a Happy Meal, isn't it? If you get Happy yeah. Meal these days from McDonald's, yeah. well, when you can actually go back to McDonald's. Totally forgettable characters, though. I couldn't name you one character in it. Yeah, I looked at it sort of thing, and I, it looked like um, it looked visually like Sword in the Stone to me. Yes, similar. Similarish to Sword in the Stone. So that kind of vibe sort of thing. But this was, um, you know, Disney's you know, so-called dark period. Yep. Um, where they had this. They had Dragon Slayer. Black was a Hole Disney film, I believe. was around this Black time. Black Hole and Tron, I think, was Disney one. It sort of thing. They had this yes, weird sort of period in the early 80s where they were trying to reinvent themselves into something different. They didn't really yeah. know. Disney had a really weird period in the early 80s, if you don't know. I mean, Disney are now this megacorp that owns half the world, Lemon Tencent. But back in the 80s, they were... They were they wobbled. They, str- they? they, they were struggling. Went. They were struggling. They yeah, really, yeah. They were. And it was it was some it was a couple of films that came out obviously later with the Little Mermaid and Beauty Beauty and the Beast, Beast uh, and then Aladdin Lion King. And, and Lion King. That that really you know really brought them back. It to, was uh, to the the four Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner that brought Disney back from beyond at the time when they were releasing the Black Hole. That's what people were saying. Disney finances were so that's just, that gives <laughs> yeah. you that gives you an idea of where they were at and they were in a bad way. The films were unpopular. Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron, they're all kind of a bit glum and a bit bleak. Black Cauldron's got some really fearsome, horrific imagery in it for a kid's movie. Yeah, exactly. So it's just the Dragon Slayer. Dragon Slayer is really really dark. So, I mean, they're not not what you'd call, if you put them side by side with, you know, the kind of Snow White walks up to the little bird, it pops on her finger and she goes, you know, and all the rest of it and all that kind of Disney stuff. You think, oh, that's nice. Then you've got Black Cauldron with a doomed death figure looming over kids that are all screaming. You're like, wow. There was a sea change of management at some point in Disney. That made those happen. Yeah, yeah. There was a it was a weird time the early eighties mm. something for Disney, and, and the Black Cauldron was kind of the last the last throw to to, to go back to some kind of more traditional animation because I don't know what they were doing around that sort of thing, but it was really you know like you said Eisner and, and Katzenberg, who uh, my understanding sort of thing is you know pushed the Little Little Mermaid come out well, they and did, then well, Beauty the Beast. They, they went back. They went back to producing films that were more about song, singing and dancing and kids stuff. So they, yeah. went, they went back and they went back to more traditional tales as well. So Beauty and the Beast, which is a remake of the sort of La Bella La Bette. And they just went back to hardcore Disney princess, princes, the values. And they're still there to this day. They never really moved from it because that was their winning formula. If you think of all the Disney movies that have princes and princesses and all the rest of it, that's good merch as well for Disney because they can sell all that stuff in dolls and all the rest of it. No one's going to go and buy a black cauldron, death cauldron for their kid and go, here's your death cauldron you wanted. <laughs> like similar to you're not going to buy a dead fox for someone. I go, it's, it's Fox and the Hound merch, honestly. I don't know why it's bleeding like that. It, should, it said it wouldn't do that in the box. So there's... There's just stuff you they couldn't merch merchandise it and nobody wanted to see it or buy it. So no, I mean I really like Dragon Slayer, but you know the princess in Dragon Slayer gets eaten. Yes, and she gets Spo- eaten. And you, spoilers. There's, there's this, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, tough. That's not the point of the film anyway. Sort of thing. The point of the film of Dragon Slayer is you know it's got a cool dragon in it, but the princess she ends up as food for the baby dragons. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Well, again, it's. <laughs> I mean, that's bleak. <laughs> I mean, I, it is bleak, but I, I kind of admire what Disney were trying to do because they were. They. I think that, that there's a time when they felt they were being pigeonholed into making certain kinds of films, and their films always had to be kind of twee and nice. And I think that they wanted to expand out of that, so they threw a lot of money into what is now very important experimentation in film. So some advanced 
animation techniques came off the back of things like Tron. Some advanced camera techniques came off the back of some of their later later animated films. Not necessarily Black Cauldron, but certainly in some of their real real life films as opposed to the animated ones. They were trying different avenues. Wasn't, wasn't all, Beauty and the Beast successfully? Wasn't Beauty and the Beast the first animated film to incorporate um, yeah, computer generated? So because that, that sequence in the dancing scene where they sort yeah, of that, on that dress, huge the folds movement. of her dress had CG on them. And yeah, there was, little there was like the, that. Yeah. big camera movement around it when they're dancing and everything. Absolutely, sort of incorporated that. So yeah, Disney were in an interesting period, and the, and the Black Cauldron was a step into sort of some weird direction. But eleventh of October, you could have gone seen Disney's last animated throw of the dice before they went back to normal, or John Luke Goddard's erotic Virgin Birth. Um, if you'd have waited a week, though, which I'd advise you to have done, uh, you could have gone and watched Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Mm. Um, now, we've mentioned this briefly before, so we have talked a little bit about it, because I think we've mentioned the Tina Turner song. Um, we did, We don't need yes. another hero. But I I love them. I, I really do like the Mad Max films, and I think we, we are kind of in agreement in this one sort of thing, and this is, this is half a really good Mad Max film. Yes. <laughs> um, and half a really weird something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that first half is. It's like, is it even directed by a different guy or something? Because there's, there's no, no, I, don't, no. I don't know much about George, the actual production. It, honestly, it's once he's had that fight with that giant and the little midget guy, whatever he is, there's sort of, there's two of them in there kind of fighting him. Once that, that's the dwarf, over, yeah, yeah. The dwarf guy, yeah. Once they're over that bit, you know, it gets into the, the mas- more... Master Blaster. Yeah, it gets into the more of the road movie type territory where these films have their strength and that's where it's great. But it's just that really weird thing. You go, you get sent out into the desert, he gets picked up by those children who call him the Sky Captain, Captain yeah, yeah. Rogers, and weird. they have that weird, kind of crazy sort of sequence where they talk about you know coming from the sky and blah blah blah. and then he's like nah i don't know what you're on about and then it turns into a oh let's go and destroy a barter town yeah and it's like okay you know you get angry anderson before he sang the neighbors theme um (laughs) and tina Tina turner with that huge wig and everything is um, big hair big hair auntie is auntie yeah something like that and uh, you know it's got some great iconography and some really good visuals because that's what george miller does george miller's Mm. amazing i mean his most recent mad max film is is astonishing the problem with this sort of thing is is it's it's replete with um it's mad max through the lens of the mid 80s yes very much so um because you know you've got the massive shoulder pads on tina turner which is weird and you've got this kind of you know bartering trying to get back to consumerism and all this sort of stuff going on before they kind of realize actually we better we better blow up some cars because that's what people have come here for and it's a good idea that they put that towards the end because that's what you walk out the end of the cinema you know thinking about like oh great they blew up some cars you kind of forget that first half, so you go watch it again. It's an interest. It's an interesting film. Mm. It's obviously the weakest of the Mad Max films. I mean, I don't know, well, maybe the first one. I'm not sure. No, I think the first one's but super, I think the like first a super one, low budget B movie, almost shot schlock. It is, yeah, and, and very different sort of thing. But then the, the first one is very weirdly sort of like you said, low budget. Reminded me of uh, the Peter Weir film, uh, Cars Eight Paris, or whatever it was. Interestingly enough, this film was actually directed by two people. Oh, so it is, that, is it? Yes. So it was directed oh, okay. by George Miller and George Ogilvy. After the death of the producer of the first Mad Max movies, Byron Kennedy was killed in a helicopter crash while scouting locations for Beyond Thunderdome. He was a personal friend and the producing partner of George Miller and he couldn't quite get over the shock of his death. So he hired a second director to shoot with him because he simply couldn't do it because he wasn't in the right mindset, which is like, I think explains a great deal about Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Oh, I never knew that. There you go. Yes, I think it, I think it does something because coming on the back of Mad Max Two, what that film did, yeah, I always equate Mad Max Two to Mad Max as similar to Evil Dead Two to Evil Dead. Yeah, in that you know it ramps everything up that the first film was trying to do to a ridiculous level and takes it in a, in a, in a crazy direction. And this one, you know. I admire it for trying to do something different. It would have been very easy for them just to do another, always trapped in another place. But 
you know, trying to do the whole barter town thing, but it just doesn't quite work. No, um, it's not. It's not quite as. I don't think it's quite as grounded as the. It's quite as. 18 rated R rated as the first two. I think it, they've softened it a bit. And I think, yeah, the, soft, I think soft, the softening of it, even though it's creative in many ways, the softening of it makes it just feel. And then obviously it's a true return to form for Fury Road, but this, this, it just feels like it's a bit of a PG rated Mad Max movie. And yeah. there's places where it isn't, but certainly the second half of the movie all feels very, you know, Peter Panny for me. So. Oh, what, the, 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 when, he, when he reaches the children. Yeah, and it's just a bit yeah. like. Eh. No, so it's not a terrible film. It's just nowhere near as good as no. But it's going to take a lot to beat Lord Humongous for me, and he was great. <laughs> so you know, it's, it, he just fact, wanted the gasoline. <laughs> it took a lot to beat Lord Humongous. In fact, you know, it quite did, a lot. It really did. You know, he just he yeah. did want he really wanted that gasoline. That's what I like about that. You know, he was missing in this movie for me. He could have had his son. You know, not so humongous. I think about Mad Max Beyond Under and like that ending is so good to Mad Max 2 when they make off like bandits with the um, the gasoline and he, mm, you know, classic. And it, I'm not going to spoil it here, sort of thing. If you haven't seen it, go watch Mad Max 2, it's brilliant. And it's got such a great sucker punch of an ending. Um, but there's that, I think it's got that great last shot of him, you know, that's the last time I saw the Road Warrior or something. Yeah. And it's just him in the desert and it's all bleak and dark and then and this one starts off with like almost weird pantomime the yeah. sky captain guy yeah just oh not sky captain the, the gyro captain gyro guy yeah, absolutely uh, it's just it's just a bit it's just a bit strange in tone nah. it's a bit tonally all over the place as yeah. well i like george miller's world i like this world he has mad max in i really like it and especially in fury road i really like that world they're in it's kind of that neo-apocalyptic kind of fury road space amazing yeah, and it's just that world they're in. Even in Mad Max, it's, it's a lot more basic. And even in Thunderdome, to some extent, it's, you know, it's still got, it's in that space, in that world. It's all kind of, you know, a bit broken. Technology's kind of been repurposed. And it's, you know, it's that's that kind of repo world that they live in. I quite like that in all of them. Um, it's less prevalent, obviously, in the first one, but it's, it's certainly in the in the, the follow-ups. But mm-hmm. it's just, like I say, just, it's a bit like a, it's a bit like a Mad Max light, I think, beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, I think, you know, probably, I think it's probably part and parcel of bringing in someone like Tina Turner, maybe, or maybe, some mm. bigger stars and some bigger names sort of thing and, and a bit more because I think probably a bit more studio money yeah. there's obviously more money in Beyond yeah. Thunderdome than there is yeah. in Mad Max 2 yeah. and, and the, you know it's Hollywoodization it's like I said it's 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 a Mad Max through the lens of 80s Hollywood and, and uh, it didn't quite work no. anyway there you go so cinema in, in that was cinema in October it's a load of films released next month though so we'll be talking about them but yeah so you could have gone and watched The Black Cauldron John Luc Godard's Jean Javus Salumery or George Miller's and the other guys Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome uh, that's the cinema and TV for October 85 And we are back. That's the films. That's the TV. We've got our last set of games from this issue of that and what we're looking at. First game in this final section is Spy vs. Spy 2, The Island Caper. Graham, what did you make of Spy vs. Spy 2? First thing I noticed, actually, and I didn't realise this before, is that this is made by the people that made Balderdash. First star, so yeah. So this is yeah. a first star game. So from a technical perspective, um, you think, well, this is going to, if it's got that kind of pedigree, and it is very well put together, it's di- it differs from the previous Spy vs. Spy games in that this one has a scenario which is that you need to find three parts of a missile, which is the XJ-4.5 missile or something like that. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then you need to get all those parts and escape the island before you competitor to the enemy and before the volcano erupts because there's a volcano going up so you're on a time clock so in order to do that you've got the uh, range of booby traps which you can lay for your opponent whether that opponent is a real person or whether it's the computer that you're playing against you've got exploding coconuts you've got snares traps shark attacks you name it sort of a good range of traps you control it in the same way as you control all the games so you have like a little trap menu you can lay the traps in secret they called it simul vision this idea that you've got two people playing on the screen at the same time and that you know you're focusing on your bit and they're focused on their bit so there's none of this you know I'm watching what the other player is doing and what they are so you can see, lay the traps in secret and so I suppose the question really is is it an extension or better than the previous Spy vs Spy games is there more to this so there is a little bit more graphically it's as good as all the others um, same sort of graphics really there's nothing super new about it I think it's the pace is a bit quicker at least there's a bit more to it um, so there is a purpose now behind it as opposed to just sort of playing it but it still suffers from similar problems to the Spy vs Spy games the what, single player campaign as it is here is hard and the single player AI is incredibly difficult to beat so you mm-hmm. find yourself in that same situation where if something becomes impossible because the AI it's not really AI in, in, in the sense that it's, um, there's no intelligence to it it just seems to know exactly what, where you put all your booby traps all the time so it gets a bit tiresome and, and I find it very difficult to trap the AI player I didn't have a person to play it with so I but I imagine two player it's a probably a whole different ball game and it's probably a lot more fun the same criticisms that we leveled at Spy vs Spy 2 and Spy vs Spy and all the other Spy vs Spy games still apply great fun for two players less fun with an impossible AI alternative player but there is a little bit more to this graphic in terms of it being set on an island and you've got sort of coconut attacks and that kind of thing. So the thematics are a bit different and the graphics have been up to little notch, but it's the same, you know, similar vision gameplay. And so it is a bit of a, but there is that race against time. So I enjoyed it, but the Spy vs. Spy games are kind of okay for half an hour. After that, for me, it gets a bit dull. What about you? I think playing Spy vs. Spy is we did do something and now the sequel, Spy vs. Spy 2. I've not spent a lot of my adult life thinking about Spy vs. Spy games, I have to say, but... It has reinforced a suspicion that I actually did have, which is that I just don't like the Spy vs. Spy games. Um, and I think playing them again now has, has cemented that. And, and they're just there's something about them that's just not for me. No, and no. I'm not. I'm not saying they're bad games. This is just, this is a separate issue sort of thing. This is for me. There's just something about them that doesn't doesn't work. I just don't. I just don't enjoy them. Um, whether it's the uh, you know whether it's the single player nature of them, and, and like you said, sort of thing—the AI not being AI, just being a you know a savant and, and just knowing exactly what you've done all the time. Whether it's the—I don't like the kind of forced humor, coconut bombs, and all this sort of thing. And the, I, I have read episodes of Mad Magazine, which is obviously where they come from, sort of thing, and I've never found them particularly funny. Um, I think it's a very particular brand of humor, sort of thing, that just is, is not mine. And I, you know, I've got a fairly broad sense of humor, but I've never found the Mad Magazine particularly humorous. And, and I think this is just an extension of that. I, I think technically they're quite, they're quite impressive. There's some nice bits here, sort of thing, where the screens merge together and you know, you get that when you get on screen together. But then when that happens sort of thing, you end up wobbling at each other with a stick, mm. trying to hit each other for to, to no end. And I have no idea what's going on. I usually ended up in a some quicksand that sometimes I could waggle my way out of and sometimes I couldn't. And then eventually the guy would just run off with the missile and just bog off in the submarine sort of thing. And, and, that, and that would be that sort of thing. And, and, and there's just something about these games that just, I think it just rubbed me the wrong way. They're very sort of college American or some kind of, there's, there's, some, there's some Americanness to them that just doesn't, gel with me and the whole concept of them just 
rubs me the wrong way, and and, and this was no this was no exception. I, I I find them frustrating in the the way that you've got to sort of control them and the way you set stuff up and and everything like that. And I see, you know, there's that game is ninety two percent, and I can absolutely see why. I imagine with two people, it's a bit of a laugh and stuff like that. And back then, there's very very little like this. They remind me of like in a sense sort of thing that if. if if the modern Lego games were sort of versus games with that kind of, you know, split screen where the screens come together and stuff like that with, you know, like, a, the, the, like the Lego games play now. Um, and in that respect, sort of thing, so technologically sort of thing, they're, they're sort of reminiscent of that. I don't know. They're, I find them just quite dull and, and quite repetitive. Yeah, but they are. I think, that, I think that may be me more than the games, but, you know. No, I, I, know. I agree. And apparently, Spy versus Spy was actually a parody of the political ideologies of the Cold War created by a Cuban expatriate and who was threatened by Fidel Castro. I didn't get any of that from this game, I have to say. I just blown <laughs> people up with coconuts, but... Uh, I- I can, well, I can, you know, I can, I can see that. I, I, well, not see that sort of thing, but I, I get, I get the whole, you know, black versus white, the two sides, and trying to do this, and the ridiculousness of spying and all that geopolitical politics, or whatever you want to get into, sort of thing. But I find, I find the, the games just a bit too try hard. Yeah, I think it's, it's the word it's, I'm looking it's for. It's devoid of political satire, that's for sure. So if you take that away, yeah. it's just meant to be kind of the fun characters and stuff. And okay, maybe, but I think. I didn't have a big affinity for Spy vs. Spy. I've never really followed Mad Magazine or anything like that. So for me, it's just two fun characters where you're trying to outdo each other. But like you say, longevity, well, I think they've stretched this as far as it can possibly be stretched, I have to say. There's a third one, isn't there? There is a third one. Yeah, and the games were made of this relatively recently. So it's not, you know, they're still publishing Mad Magazine and Spy vs. Spy is still in it. That said is this game any good it's okay is it better than any others it's pretty much the same and i found that actually when it's funny you mentioned that getting stuck in the quicksand because i found that really annoying about this game <laughs> but it doesn't have any longevity and it's no better than any of the others it just feels like it's just more of more of the same with a sort of islandy coconutty twist this is one of the games that plays well at the time sort of thing but hasn't stood the test of time no no we used the word fiddly quite a lot in this uh, in, in these reviews sort of thing but that's what this feels like it feels like you're fighting against it yeah um rather than it being you know, intuitive, uh, like it's almost like he's trying too much. You yeah. know, there's only so much you can do with a joystick in eight directions. It's not for me, and it never will be. And, I, and I've, I've come to accept that in marks myself, and I feel much more at peace. I'm at peace um, with it. I, yes. I, yeah, and since since playing this sort of thing, I've slept like a baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the inner peace I felt from realizing that uh, the last 35 years I had never liked Spy vs. Spy in yeah. game format or magazine. <laughs> Has enabled me to sleep peacefully without the need of Zoppy Clone for the last six weeks. That's the power <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> it compels you. <laughs> it compels me to sleep well. <laughs> anyway, that's by the by. Of course, that's a, that's a whole separate uh, issue. But no, yeah, no, no, no. That, that's spy. That's spy. The spy. spy the spy. Yeah, the island caper. Spy versus spy. Yeah, not for me. But you know, you could probably get some out of this. But no, I don't. Not me. So our next game up uh, is, I think it's an Activision, another Activision title, mm, another Activision is. sports title. This is Tour de France, uh, as not made by Jean-Luc Godard. Um, so <laughs> Thank God. What, we, what do we say about Tour de France? For those who don't know, Tour de France is a iconic cycle, you know, some bicycle race where lots of people in groups, you'll notice I say that, in groups, um, cycle around France. I think, you know, in Monday sort of thing, exactly part of it happens in, in England, is that? Do they come That's over the here Tour de Yorkshire you're thinking of, aren't they? Is, it, is that not part of the Tour de France? No. I thought it was a leg of it. No, it's a t- I thought they brought no. a leg of it over. No. 
It's Toddy Yorkshire. Right, okay. it's, a, it's a different Tordor. Tordor Yorkshire. All right. Well, okay. So the Tour de France, they go cycle. They basically cycle around France for for, for whatever reason. It's a race in it. They pick a track and let's cycle around it. Anyway, so they do this on bikes, and this is a rep, you know replication of that. This game really forces its Frenchness upon you with you know the French national anthem as its soundtrack, and everything feels very French. You know, is okay, I guess. If you get that, that way, well, it is the Tour um, de France. It is the Tour de France, but it's like yeah, very French. So everything about this is French the colours do everything so you can pick strange enough it offers you a chance to do the whole thing great or you can pick stages and I found picking a stage really really hard you, it gives you a circle to move gives you a circle to move from one section to then to another section and then just continues marking sections I'm like no no no, no just that one and I, uh, eventually it let me race so when you get to race this is a top down-ish three-quarter view of the track now remember earlier when I said you were in a group yeah not here this is more like rally Tour de France rally style, where you cycle the route on your own, and that's it, really. It's okay. The the bike is quite well animated. The way you control it is a bit weird. Um, you waggle from side to side to build up speed. Typical, you know, you know, waggle waggleathon to build up speed. And then you, once you build up some speed, you can coast. So that's quite nice. And you coast in the direction. Then you hold down the fire button and you use left and right to steer your bike. Basically, turn left, turn right. So while you're coasting, you then hold down the fire button to, to go around corners. It's okay. Once you get used to it, it's not too bad. So you kind of, you waggle a bit and then you steer and you waggle a bit and 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 you steer. You get in the picture, mm-hmm. you waggle a bit and you steer um, and you go around corners and the graphics are all right and the scrolling is quite smooth, but it's kind of a weird scrolling and that you, it's it's that scrolling where you get near to the edge of, a, edge of the screen and then it scrolls the next part on which mm. freaks you out a little bit because your speed then seems all weirdly off and you generally tend to cycle off into the grass, the grass of which touching the grass is instant collapse. You know, it is what it is. But and then you, so it's it's like a Tour de France rally, really. Um, you get to the end of a section and it tells you how well you're doing and, and then you, you go again. That, that's the game. What did I think to it? It was okay. It didn't offend me. It didn't put me off anything like that. I found it, you know, vaguely enjoyable Zap gave it about 78 I could kind of see that I'd maybe a bit lower probably I'm not going to go back to it Uh, what I missed though was the sense of Tour de France being about a big massive group of riders um, (laughs) cycling because there's none of that Uh, so it felt more like a tour of France a cycling tour of France rather than the actual tour de france what did you think yes um same i thought the controls once you got used to them were okay animation was nice it reminded me of epics animations that kind of style even though it was mm. not not epics it had that kind of feel it did yes but it, the game wasn't any fun of any kind it felt laborious and labored i think they tried to capture the seriousness and the grandeur of the tour de france which is fine but it really didn't capture any of that it just felt like one man on a bike you know? so it was you know <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was it felt like it was a tour of the bus stops of france <laughs> No. Tour of France, yeah. yeah. it was it was literally a tour of France. And more to the point, you know, it was more of, a, for me, it was more of a falling off at every bend tour of France. Uh, <laughs> cycle a bit, fall off. Cycle a bit, fall off. Cycle a bit, fall off. And I was like, just, even when I gradually got used to the controls, it just, you know, someone breathed near me and I'd be collapsing off that bike. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> and this game, I mean, it's two discs. So this is a big, this is a big old game. There's a lot of graphics, loads of stages. There's a lot to think about. You're going to be, you know, you, you're going to have to settle in for the big game here because you're going to be playing this for quite some time if mm-hmm. you go for the big full Tour de France. But it just isn't fun. It just feels like it's, you're just, it's like solo bike. You're just solo biking around. And no, I mean, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe there's a point when you do meet other racers and stuff. I don't know. 
I, I don't know. I didn't encounter any. I just was, and it felt like I was just trying to trail trail a marble almost or an object around a kind of a, a bit of a wiggly path. And in that instance, it felt like, you know, those games you used to play where you had the metal spike and you had to sort of work your way around the little, you know, the little bendy metal track. And if you touched it, it went, it was a bit like trying yeah. to control one of them. But I imagine, you know, for the fun of doing that on one of those for 10, 15 seconds, yeah, I could play that. For sitting down... And I suspect you must be on this for hours if you're going to play the full race because it seemed it took me about half an hour to get off the first screen. So I think you're going to be in it for the full tour. If you like cycling and you're really into it, maybe there's something for you there. I don't know. Again, I've said this before about simulations of real world things that are more interesting. Chances are somebody's, somebody into the Tour de France is probably going to just go and get on a bike and cycle around a bit. I doubt that they're going to get as much from this as, as perhaps they could have. It felt like They felt like it had all the elements they needed to make this great and they just didn't get to the final bit. Just put more people in it. You know, they, could, they, could have, they could have even made the graphics a little bit smaller and made it a bit, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It just it was just lacking the lacking of grandeur of of what they were trying to do, and I think that that really affected it. So you know, cycling alone around France was never something I wanted to play in a game anyway. So uh, it didn't really didn't tick my boxes, I'm afraid. But um, there may be a Tour de France aficionado out there that goes, "Oh, you missed out on all the great stats about France." I'm like, probably did, but you know what? I read Tricolor when I was at school, and it didn't interest me then. <laughs> I knew the bank was to the left, and I knew the shops to the right. That's all I needed to know. Get me out of here. I I, I can't help but feel whether this comes from maybe. Some- some kind of internal Activision deal sort of thing that to see this like you said sort of thing this attempt to be the simulation of the Tour de France and it's a big game and a lot's going on and a lot of attention to detail and Barry McGuigan's boxing in the same issue mm-hmm. um, which is again is a more simulatory style version of boxing sort of thing with a lot of detail and a lot of attention to that whether you know they've, they've approached it with the same kind of ethos whereas one and once worked and, and one hasn't worked quite as well yeah, um, it, it it may be sort of that Activision would, 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 would instead of going down the sort of quick quick hit sports route, we're actually trying to do something a bit different and 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 to varying degrees of success. This isn't bad. None of it is bad. It is well made and it's like I said, it's nice to look at. And it, it, I think you're right. It has that epics epicsy feel to it, but it's lacking involvement. Um, yeah. It's lacking engagement. That you just like it feels like a rally, but with a rally, you know, if you're doing you know in a car in a rally sport, that the, the thrill is you against the core sort of thing and the speed at which your car is moving and this moving this heavy thing this is like a small sprite being scared of grass and and that and that don't really work so nope. it's, it's lacking a bit in, in that yep. so there we go it's not terrible but it's it could have been better yes or could it it's of it's sort of france well it's good to put more people in it yeah, what should have done. any anybody in it just people <laughs> yeah. just you know there's nobody anybody. in france everybody left france when you when the tour de france is on if that's the game's anything to go by there's nobody there no, <laughs> no applause no. nobody's cheering you on nothing no one likes it get out <laughs> on tour yorkshire get out tour, <laughs> tour of france <laughs> okay so that was tour of france and uh, no, tour, tour de france sorry <laughs> same difference um, same difference uh, let's move on sort of thing we've got uh, our second to last game for this issue, another uh, another American American import. This is Ghost Chaser. Ugh, go on. This belongs. <laughs> this belongs in the um, games that have been brought across because they were on the same ship as the other games, or mm-hmm. they were imported because they were just in a batch. The graphics on this aren't great. It's got. It's meant to be having. I think it's meant to be having arcadey type vibe, but the kind of the graphics look a bit oldy, old fashioned for the C sixty four. They look a bit like nineteen eighty three, eighty four. It's a nineteen eighty four game. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it's 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 a year out of date, really, and I think it shows. The idea is you have got to go in the house and run around 
avoiding the ghosts essentially and finding stuff there's a decent enough atmosphere um you start off outside the house you climb through the window then you're in the house and then you start to run around and the ghost and at that point it becomes kind of a platformery almost type vibe um so collect the blobs avoid the ghosts some of the graphics are okay but they've got kind of a basic basic basicy look and feel vibe the house is a bit blocky and the graphics are a bit chunky and a bit old and bit 1984-ish it's got decent enough enough sound effects it's a bit of an arcade feel but it lacks any real spirit of fun it's just it's passable but not great and um it's i guess it's what you call a distinctly average game that feels just a little bit out of its time and out of its depth had this been released and it's a 1984 game in the context of those games in 1984 this is probably okay in the context of the games mm-hmm. that we're now looking at the monty on the runs the um, summer games twos the way it's exploding fists and the things that are gradually starting to eke their way out it looks dated already big blocky kind of basic colors and graphics and stuff like that bit slow and sluggish as well not it's not super speed it's all right but it's it's just it's as i think zap gave it something in the 60s 60 percentage and that's about where i would have put it it's it's not brilliant but it's not rubbish enough to say it's awful it's just sat there in the middle a year a year too late to be of any real difference to anybody who's going to buy it and play it i think i'd have been miffed if i'd have is it full price i think it is i think i'd have been miffed if i'd have paid mm, 9.95 te- if i'd have paid 10 pound for it i would have been a bit more understandably upset um, it feels like there's better 199 games. It probably sits in that 199 zone, really. But um, I, I didn't get much more out of it than that. Did you? Did you chase ghosts in there? Did you find it? You know, go- Ghostbusters the two. I really didn't like this. Um, I put, you know, more it's more American 1984 golf. It's that thing that's annoying me, sort of thing. It's this. It's this. We've got these games that are a year old, and it's going to port them over yeah. and sell them to the to sell them to the English. And I find that quite quite infuriating and I don't think there's any enjoyment to be had I didn't, I didn't, find, I didn't have any enjoyment here no there wasn't any uh, I, I put a horrible flick screen nightmare of a thing probably a bit more harsh than you no I agree um, I didn't get but, anything um, from it away with the I just I couldn't I couldn't you know the controls felt awful the, the visuals I don't like that sort of thing when they do and it all seems to be the same colour and everything seems to be really hard to make out and there's just these blocky things moving around and, but it reminded me of a you know it's a, it's a worse version of that bloody Rupert game yes uh, yes very similar it's, Actually. It's, it's three it's three levels and it's stairs and that, that kind of rubbish um but at least rupert had some you know decent visuals and, and nice nice animations but it just doesn't have any of that it just it's quite fast it's you no know, it's not slow but it, it's fast in a in an annoying awful way in that it don't feel there's no finesse to it i don't know i i just you know this this left me very very <laughs> dispirited um should we say yeah uh yeah i didn't like this i really didn't and and, and i'm i'm getting at the time probably i was probably unaware of the origins of a lot of these things sort of thing but looking back at them now i'm getting i'm getting more and more annoyed by these these uh you know these these american games a year or two out of date we're yeah. going to get another one even worse in a moment but um that being foisted out at full price yeah, um, on, on, on the unsuspecting, you know, 1985 British public, With which is really kind of big, blocky graphics, like really, yeah, exactly, really blocky. Yeah. You know, no finesse yeah. to them, just big, chunky, blocky, horrible sprites, blocky, blocky, blocky. Don't yeah. like it. I mean, Over I, think, blocky. I think it's in, in episode zero we talk about Tapper. Yeah, I mean, a ta- Tapper Tapper's a really good example of a really good 1984. Yeah. Um, you know, American game sort of thing with really decent visuals and nice control and you know, really good arcade. And this just this showed that they, they could do decent stuff back then. We talk, we'll talk about that a bit when that game when that gets released, and you'll see what we think about some of those games. But this just feels, you know, if we if that had come out in that period, we'd have been like just as bad. I'd be like, no, this is. No, but to re- release this a year on is, is I, I can't, I 
anger behind it, and no. I feel aggrieved to have to have to look at it. Yes, <laughs> there's too much sort of 16 color palette blockiness going on for my eyes. It's garish at best, awful. Yeah, and um, like I said, well, even when you get in the house, it's not great experience after that. It's just totally forgettable and out of date already, which shows you how things, how fast things are moving on. You put this and Monty on the road side by side, and it's just the difference is astonishing. So yeah, in, in every really capacity, is. that game's way better. So, you know, yeah. and not just in terms of its gameplay and everything else, but just visually, it's just way better you can see that these games you know how quickly it moved on but don't release them you know just keep them over there don't feel compelled to release all these games in the uk back then you know don't do it you know, save no. us save us save us a little bit keep, keep them back keep them for yourselves we don't need them <laughs> yeah. so, okay, we don't, we'll, we'll really make our don't. own that are way better we don't need your blocky monstrosities keep them keep them back you keep yeah. them to yourself <laughs> indeed away with the you know if someone gave me that as a gift i'd say do you know what i'm just going to put this away for best <laughs> <laughs> That's too good to play. I'm, 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 I'm going to put that in this drawer and just seal that and lock it. No one's, no one's ever seen that. No. Yeah, there we go. Best you can say about it. Wait for best. <laughs> All right. So we didn't like Ghost Chaser. No. I'm not sure we're going to like this one either. Uh, our last, our last game uh, for this issue. <clears throat> The aptly titled or not, it's Dickie's Diamonds. As I said, <laughs> this is not based around the world of sport and Dickie Davis, which I was hoping it would be because, you know, I'm quite interested in if he has a diamond. But it's not. It's a, it's a cheap game. It's one ninety nine. Not cheap but enough. the thing that appears on the title screen straight away is, is 1983. All right? So it, instantly, my hackle, <laughs> instantly my hackles are up going, ah, oh, what is going on? Um, so... Anyway, let's look at Dickie's Diamonds. What is Dickie's Diamonds? All right, so Dickie's Diamonds, you play an owl, Dickie. Dickie the owl, um, whose diamonds have been stolen by a spider called Stephen. Okay, so at the start of every game, uh, and then whenever you die, Stephen will walk onto the screen and slowly draw out his web. And I do mean slowly. It takes a while. He'll draw <laughs> so, out a web with so three, lay- three layers to it. There's an outer layer, there's a middle layer, and there's an, you know, an inner hexagon, should we say. There's, an, there's a middle hexagon, there's an outer hexagon, and they're all connected, obviously, from point to point, and, that, and he draws this. Sort of thing. And then you're in the top top left, you add Dickie the, the owl sort of thing, and then you must walk around the... Um, so there are many questions with this sort of thing, but the gameplay consists of you wandering around the web um, along its strands, uh, colouring them from white to black as you move across them, and the whole point is to colour the entire web um, in black um, and and thus trap Stephen in in a in a state, and then you get your diamond back. When if Stephen walks across a, a part of the web that has been colored black, he will turn it back to white. So this is Amadar like you kick like it's those kind of you know color the color the thing to to get an 90 percent of it colored in or whatever. You if you get trapped in a part sort of thing, so you've gone around the points and you get trapped at a point when there's only black web around you, you can move around them, but you have to use one of your limited number of flights. Um, so that means you, you fly along the web and say walking along it. Um, and you only have a number, limited number of these. Um, and that gets you to the next, back to the next node sort of thing where there may be a white part you can then go walk on and you're back to normal. And that's it. That, that is really it. This is a single screen thing and you walk around. If, Steve, if you hit Steve and the spider, uh, you die and then screen resets and Steven comes on and draws the web again and so on and so on and so on. Now this, this game, it gets, it gets old very quickly. It's, it's not a great game or something, but it, it left me with, with, with many questions. Um, the, um, so why would an owl have diamonds? Why would an owl be colouring in spider's webs? Well, exactly. Why would a spider steal them? 
Mm, and I, I know yeah. these video games, and we could sort of say a lot about them, so, but this seems particularly obtuse. Why would an owl only have a certain number of flights? As far as I'm aware, owls can fly as much as they want. No, they get less um, with the levels as well, the higher up you go, the less flights you get. I know. Why would an owl be worried about a spider? The, the side, they eat spiders, I imagine. This is a two-year-old game. And I imagine if you played this in 1983, you'd probably get some enjoyment out of it because at this point in 1983, things were very different. You know, you'd, you'd look at it and you go, oh, this is a bit of fun. You know, it's a, wandering around. There's some enjoyment out here. But we're two years on. We're 1985. We're October. We've played Baron McGuigan. We've played Ghostbusters. We've played Summer Games 2. We've played Pit Stop 2. We've played Forbidden Fire. For God's sake. <laughs> the list goes on. This is such a bad, you know... It, Actually, it's not a bad game, but it's a game so out of time that it's it's utterly redundant. And I can't see why they would even try and release this, even for two quid. No, no, it's a, it's it's you know, you you say something good about it if you can, because <laughs> I can. Yeah, why, why would I do that? I thought it was crap. <laughs> um, I thought it was weird. I thought it was annoying drawing that stupid web again and again and again. Why does? Spiders keep diamonds is the question that I would ask shortly before I ask why would a owl bother itself with a spider that keeps diamonds? I don't know. Like you said, yeah. why do they only have so many flights? If you get to level eight, Cecil comes out to help. That's Steven's friend. Um, yes, but that's yeah. only that's only if you've selected second spiders as an option in the beginning, which why would you do that if that makes it harder? <laughs> the entire logic of this game defies reality and therefore it just falls into the trap of stupid and i think it's what started off with somebody's i think it started off with a very simple idea as good games do draw things around in the web if you do enough of that the web collapses get the diamond next level but i think somebody went well hang on a minute it needs more challenge you need to put this in and it felt like uh, it started to feel like there's been a bit of design by committee and, and all of a sudden 20 different ideas all came into this game none of which really make any sense anyway if they'd have just kept it to level two has two diamonds level three has a bit more complicated web Level four has more spike. You know, if they'd just kept it to that kind of standard arcade paradigm of increase the complexity by adding more stuff or more difficulty that way, mm-hmm. one screen arcade type game, that's the kind of 1983 vibe it would have played off. Instead, they put in this ridiculous level of flights, complexity. You can only do flight so often. You can't do this. If it's white, you can only go there. Don't get surrounded by the black bit. Oh my gosh, not the black bits. And um, just like, you know, it got ruined. Um, so I think there's a gem of it, not even a gem. There's a spark of an idea in here that's been quickly wrapped up in massive amounts of shit-ridden bog paper. And uh, for me, um, that's that's a reason for me never to play it again. Well, it's like that That when we, we, I think we spoke about this in uh, episode one. Was that, what was that web dimension? Yeah, the music made no sense. One. Yeah, exactly. The it just game made with no the sense. musical notes, which yeah. is again, sort of thing, you're moving around a web, coloring it in for no reason. That some, you know, these games are okay. If you play something like Volfide or you play something like Kicks or you play something like Amadar, there's a, there's a pleasure to be had in this kind of covering the thing in a certain sense because, you know, and like you said, increasing complexity and challenge and keep the pace up. But I also found it really awkward. I don't know whether it was my controller or the way it was playing it sort of thing, but did you find it awkward as well to find the angles to go mm. up, up, up along this? Because it's a hexagon, which doesn't quite match to eight directions on a joystick. I don't no. know if they were trying. I was like... For God's sake, quite often I would just wander, I would start flying down an angle I didn't push. I was like, oh, I've lost to use one of my flights. 
Yeah, exactly. It, it suffered from the size of the pixels on a Commodore 64. I mean, when they drew that web, you, you draw it when your pixels are two, essentially two across, like they, they weren't <laughs> double width, medium res pixel. That's a playoff, so you get more colours, um, which they didn't seem to have in this game anyway. But No, because the sprites that, the were single is that you, you know, you, everything looks a bit elongated, so everything's a bit sort of squat and wide, which is why the web's a bit squat and wide. But that doesn't match yeah. the joystick, which isn't. So... But you're controlling an owl in a spider web. I mean, I'm worried about the scale of these things. How big is that spider or how, how small is that owl? That's what I mean. You know, exactly. No wonder it's cl- more and questions. Cl- and, and how big are the diamonds? I mean, if is is this a money spider and that's an owl? If it is, then that's got to be... the. It doesn't make any sense. And, but then why should it? The games don't have to make sense in any way capacity. Don't get me wrong. But this one is not just doesn't make sense. It's also just stupid. No, I'd, I'd, I'd rather not. Give me, you know, I'm going to go back to yeah. money on the run. You know, you, you're competing with that now. Now you've got. Yes. A, it is a strong benchmark here. Where it's blood and fist, summer games, like you've already said, those are the, those are the games that exist in this timeline now. And you're going to put this against them. You know, you cash grabbing. You know, crazies. Like I said <laughs> about the previous game, just keep it, keep them back. You know, keep them to yourself. You don't have, don't have to release. Just because you've made a game, you don't have to release it. Just play. Get your mates to play it. If that's what it takes to make you feel good about yourself, get them to play it. Just bring them round. I've made this game where owls are attacking spiders for diamonds, and they go, you know what? It's great. Never release it though. Just keep it to yourself. <laughs> you know, keep but it for the, best. Not the, not the, keep it for best. Yeah, keep it in the same drawer as Ghost Chaser. That drawer's got. That drawer is going to get full very quickly. <laughs> Just keep it with for all best. The aunt, with all the aunts and uncles I had sort of think, buying me these games, my drawers were packed with these crap games. Do you know, and like, do, you ever, do you ever play that game? Well, let me show you my drawer. It's what is it one ninety nine? This you know, so it's definitely yeah. a, it, it. Would it pacify you if, if you know, as a if you've got one of those kids, you've taken them shopping, they've been dragging them around, you no. know, you've had to buy his shoes, you've had to you know, and they're, they're screaming and kicking off, and you know, it's like, you know, would you buy something for one ninety nine, or would you just buy you know, back then it was Star Wars figures or something like that, maybe. For the that kids that would appeal to games of this age, but I think if you took this, you bought this for two quid, you took it home, you booted it up, you played it, you'd get a you 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 would play it because obviously what you had, yeah. Um, and you'd, you'd probably play it a few times, but I think deep down, internally, you'd be crying. You would. You'd, not only that, if you bought this as a present um, for someone, not only would you be crying, you'd be thinking to yourself, if you bought this for your child, you'd be thinking, <laughs> how much is the, is the counselling going to cost me in about 10 years' time when they realise that they were traumatised by a game with a, either a giant owl <laughs> or, or a giant spider or a really microscopic owl? Yeah, you know, they're going to be, be sat there going, it doesn't make any sense. And you know that could scar someone for life, probably has. Probably has. Yeah, you'd be you'd be sat there thinking, "Am I a bad parent?" Yeah, and you would. You, you are. Would. Yes, you are. Yes, you if are. you bought this for your child, yeah. If you look, so look, if you're looking across your games shelf and there's a lot of Mastertronic <laughs> games and we all know about we play Mastertronic roulette and if there's the more of the bad ones than the good ones, which is the you know the yeah. roulette. Just all I'm saying is just you know keep a close eye on them because as the teenagers, <laughs> you know, they could go wild, could go completely Absolutely. off the rails. <laughs> well, yeah, watch Burke. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Keep a close eye on it. Yeah, watch him. No, Clark. Watch Clark. Watch Clark and watch him close. <laughs> watch him close. That's it. <laughs> I'm all right now. How long are you alone with that no, game? You, <laughs> no, you cannot come out of the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> you, you horrible thing from space. <laughs> anyway, don't play Dickie's Diamonds. For God's no. sake. Oh, you may turn full. You'll need counselling. That's what you'll need. Right, there we go. That's our games. We'll round them up in a bit. 
and tell you what we thought of them and pick our highlights from this issue. But right now, we're going to move straight on into uh, crap verts. We've got a few more to look at. We looked at a couple last uh, last episode. We looked at schizophrenia and, and the inexplicable souls of Darkon. <laughs> And now we go to what's this called? Sordoron. Oh, I can't remember what, what is this. Sordoron Shadow. Uh, this is a Beyond title. Challenging software. So, so yeah. So, <laughs> what the hell? Um, so, Sordoron Shadow. I think was a Spectrum game. It is a Lords of Midnight style thing, uh, and you know that because across the top, um, under the Beyond logo, it says "Warning: This game will keep you up after midnight." See what they did there? You see how subtle this was. Very Beyond's subtle. First, Beyond's first landscaping and text adventure. Uh, wow. Four thousand one hundred locations and more than more than thirty-two thousand screen views. Because yeah, of course, Lords of Midnight had thirty-two thousand. So. This has to have more. Um, <laughs> oh we've got game specifications. I'm, I'm avoiding the actual main point of this advert. Yes. We'll get to that in a minute. Game specifications, character graphics, Denton designs, landscaping after Mike Singleton's Lords. I mean, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. Characters have artificial intelligence. Then there's, I can runs on Spectrum and Spectrum Plus. Okay. Full text editor. Three sentence command recall. However, mm-hmm. the main image is, is it an orc? <laughs> Is that it a, is an is, amalgamation is <laughs> of several what things. Is that is a vampiric, skull-horned, ponytailed demon from another world. With, really, with, with eyebrows that need severe plucking. Yes, it's a skull with. It's got eyes and eyebrows on a skull with no nose, <laughs> horns coming out of its forehead, and a ponytail. No lips, of course. Well, bottom lip. It's got some kind of bottom lip or jawline. And a ponytail, really, which is... A, but it's a top knot more than a ponytail. Actually, yeah, it's a top knot, isn't it? Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, but, but no no other hair to speak of anywhere. So I'm still mesmerised. Well, apart from its <laughs> eyebrows, I guess. Or maybe those horns are its eyebrows. It's just... No, it's got really long, thin, waxed horn brows. Either way... Do you think it's, um, it's Sordoron? I don't know. What is it? <laughs> it's scary. Well, no, because there's no image there of Sordoron's shadow. So I guess maybe that's his shadow. That's that. I don't know what that thing is. I don't know what it's relevance it has. He follows, follows him around. I suspect that, that design kept the artist up till after midnight for many years. He's thinking about that going, I should never have, never have given that drawing because they've used it in advert. It's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it has some kind of... It's very... I don't like the fact that its eyes are kind of... Not sunken. It's just all—it's all kind of horribly wrong. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, sort of thing. It's better than I could draw, so well, I appreciate there is some artistic technique here, sort of thing. But it's just I don't get the whole advert. <laughs> I just don't get it. Just think about what that creature would look like if it actually had skin and a nose and features <laughs> where those. Anyway, don't even—they're thinking about. And of course, just an aside, the Beyond Challenge software, that looks suspiciously like a pillow embossed to me, and which means that the <laughs> graphic designer needs to be put in a tank of cold water and just uh, slowly drowned. You and your pillow embossed hatred. Well, it's, it's meant to be kind of a metal bevel effect, but to me that looks suspiciously like a, a grubby pillow emboss, and, you know... <laughs> I don't like that blatant disregard for, you know, all the rules of graphic design in that one advert. That could keep you... No wonder it keeps you up after midnight, keep you up for the rest of your life if you, if you created that monstrosity. How many how many fonts and things can you throw at a page, you know, and, and colours? Why is why do that, you know? And I guess it's important for them to have all this braggart kind of... It's got a full text editor and it's got 750 word vocabulary i suspect i'm guessing that the singleton game lords of midnight has a 749 word vocabulary and a two word text that it's all very one-upmanshipy and it doesn't sell it to me i'm afraid i'm not even sure really what that 
doesn't say much about anything, does it? It's just lots of well, lots of guff and just, talk and not much it, and not yeah, much substance. Just, you know what it's gotta be? It's gotta be that it's gotta be Lords of Midnight, but mm. with different different graphics and yeah. that's it. It's just some people seeing that and going, Well, we want one of them. Or as I prefer to call it the boards of midnight. <laughs> anyway, let's move on from Border on Shadow. Uh, two. <laughs> We've spoken about him earlier and his love for budgies. And here he is. And He's here back. he is. He's Jeff Capes' strongman. Now, if we talk about Bevel, <laughs> good lord, strongman has been over Bevel. Oh, that's the chisel. The, the, that's a chisel effect. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know where to start on this one because there's so much. So, right. Let, let's. Okay. Uh, the first thing I want. I do want to notice here, sort of thing, is that this is actually just stating Jeff Cape Strongman, isn't it? Because there's no apostrophe in Capes. Yes. So it's not his Strongman. No, he is, this is strong just, man. It's, this is just Jeff Cape Strongman. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so, that, yeah. That's it, that's... So this is a this is a statement of fact that Jeff Cape's Strongman. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that's on his business card. <laughs> Along with that picture. That picture definitely is. <laughs> so the pic, the the. The diagram is 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 our Jeff. So Jeff Capes was a bit of a British. Uh, he was a British shop putter, wasn't he? He was a he shop, was a shop putter originally, then he was a, strong, he was a he was shop putter, Britain's strongest and he, man, and then he became Jeff Capes strongman. Yeah, he's Britain's strongest man. Yeah, well, it, tell, it tells you there that he was an Olympic put, shot putter, a world and European strongman, and a world Highland Games champion. That's true, and I hope that he actually did change his name by default to Jeff Capes strongman. <laughs> he's got really hairy arms, just a long one bit. And a bit of a hairy chest, but he's 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 clearly struggling to bend a bar mm. um, around his neck. So this illustration shows our Jeff bit of sweat and sporting some feathers. <laughs> I think <laughs> I don't know what the white things are coming out behind. I him. think that's meant Whether to be like um, sort of strain. It's, 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 it's impact, impact strain, strain, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not good. Because none of this fits. Because no. the Jeff Capes at the top is is in a you know a hexagonal border. It, it's thing. actually it's trapped in the Hornby logo. So the Jeff Capes they've just taken they've taken <laughs> yeah. out the word Hornby and put Jeff Capes in it. <laughs> Although Hornby strongman would be a more interesting game. <laughs> Hornby's strongest man. It's just a, a very localized game to the workers of the Hornby model train factory where they make them just compete in really difficult events for no real purpose, just to find out and which one of you is the strongest. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got the words the word strongman uh, yes, around in steel uh, in steel with a massive massive chisel chisel bevel, bevel steel oh, chisel yes. bevel there it is look at that it's like somebody's fingers slipped on the slider then we've got this illustration of Jeff you know endorsed by Jeff Capes I should hope so you can do the truck pull or tug of war car rolling barrel loading fairground bell log chopping and wrestling <laughs> fair Fairground bell seems a bit of an odd one. What do they do in that? Just ring a, <laughs> ring a really big bell? Yeah. Uh, well, but if you look at the sense. bottom, what this, what this game promises is skill, strategy and timing, not just another joystick bash. Uh, well, that sounds um, like that, that came to, that's a quote directly from Jeff himself. When you make this I like game, it. I don't want any more of that bloody strategy. I want skill, strategy, timing. I don't want any more <laughs> of that joystick bashing. Oh, God. This is so weird. This pic- it just... The, the strongman logo is, you know, I get it. It's iron, isn't it? It's supposed to be steel. Urgh. Yeah, yeah, because he famously he used to bend bars around his neck, didn't he? I know he used to bend the bars, sort of thing, but the picture, that they could have picked a better picture. Yeah, I think <laughs> it, it's... it's. It doesn't that, look very strong. It I looks mean, like I, it's really weak and trembling. <laughs> Anatomically, it's all there. I'm still not 100% sure about his neckline because it looks kind of weird. <laughs> you know, because yeah. it seems to be like he's got some kind of neck wing. <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on there. Jeff, 
Jeff Gabe's neck win. <laughs> so <laughs> there's the, a game the, I play. The shoulders <laughs> and the arms seem proportionate, short, yeah. but proportionate. His right hand and his left hand look enormous and strong. So no wonder he's you know, and he's really bending. He's that a bar. strong man. He is a strong man, and it's got you know, he's obviously got he's got beads of sweat trickling over his his face, you know, he's all bearded and sweaty and impact. And he, you know, okay, I don't remember what Jeff Capes looked like, but he was... He, like that. I, I have just heard a big, bearded man. Believe it or not, I have heard from somebody whose pub he goes in, this is no word of a lie, that he's... I don't know if he's... I'm pretty sure he's still alive, but either way, I'd heard from a person I know owns a pub that he goes in who said he is genuinely one of the most lovely men on earth. He's absolutely a lovely guy. Yeah, I imagine so he is. I suspect that, you know, and he was generally one of those real, at the time in the 80s, he was a super celeb, wasn't he? He was, in, he was on all the kids' shows and all of that. I bet he's a really kind-hearted guy. I don't yeah. know how we would feel about that image, um, being a kind-hearted guy, because it kind of portrays him, you know, it's kind of quite an aggressive image of him, you know, struggling. I imagine that's either the face that you pull when you're trying to bend a metal bar or you've had a particularly hot chili curry as you're doing the world's most powerful dump um, and you're just getting rid of that, that and all that white splash that around him that's that's the uh, that's the water evaporating as his his lava turds are hitting that bowl you know total blowout um, and I've, and I've, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a strong man strongest man but um, I've done that face that sweaty beaded face you know I've done that exact exp- I, I can sympathise with that expression I've not ever gone car rolling or bell ringing or log chopping, but you know, well, log chopping, no, not that version. Well, not that version of log chopping, but um, (laughs) but uh, yes, and uh, it's a game. I don't remember playing it, but is this the one that had the? Did it have a Rob Hubbard soundtrack? Jeff Cape Strongman? Uh, Yeah, it did. I think. Yeah, we are. This will come up. I'm pretty sure this is reviewed, so we will be looking at this. We will end up looking Um, at it. So it's a future thing. We will see if there is some skill strategy and time. You know, let's nick the Hornby logo. Let's just get a massive, you know, let's put a grey beveled graphic together for Strongman because it's steel and strong. It looks like it. You, you don't, the only time you can ever get away with it is in the 80s for this stuff because nowadays if you <laughs> created that kind of beveled graphic on Photoshop, as I said before, it just self-deletes and then removes, <laughs> removes itself from your computer for the rest of time. You, you can't even find it. If you Google it, it just says no, no more. <laughs> So yeah, um, but I, I bet you know. I'm actually quite looking forward to playing that. I don't remember ever really getting into it. So well, we'll but, see. Uh, we'll see. Well, I, I could. I might be revising my statement. And this you know, patchy arm here worries me. It's more like stubble, isn't it? You could strike matches on that. He, pro- he probably does. <laughs> I bet he does. Well, not, not if he's doing a if he's doing a megator. Don't strike a match because. <laughs> what would they be about that would be Swan Vesta and he's also quite red faced isn't he which I imagine bending a steel bar around your back of your neck and over your neck wings is probably quite a sweaty <laughs> affair actually but there you go bar bar do, he does not wings. look like he's having a good time no he doesn't he doesn't yeah. he really doesn't anyway Jeff Cape Strongman our last crap but <laughs> god <laughs> okay I think this is called the Devil's Crown but that it actually says THC what <laughs> What on earth is that? <laughs> so this is something called the Devil's Crown, which actually looks like what Jeff Capes is producing. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a pain in his Devil's Crown, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh God, what the hell? The most so the most amazing arcade adventure to be released for the Amstrad. Oh, they were hard up on the Amstrad, weren't they? We've not even really we've looked at Spectrum and C64 stuff, but you know we're now we're getting into Amstrad stuff. So the Devil's Crown. Okay, so oh, where do I start? <laughs> there's, so there's the words "the Devil's Crown" in some big 
jolly lettering um, across the top, but it actually says the spot from the E is missing, so it actually looks like THC. THC, Devil's Crown. There's no apostrophe to be seen, so I don't know if it's... I don't know what, what, what it actually means. Uh, the W in the crown is a crown, a sort of quite realistic one, mm. but, you know, for, for no reason. And beneath that, okay, I don't know what you might think when you hear the name The Devil's Crown. Right, fair enough. You might think, okay, maybe, you know, whatever. Probably what you're not thinking, though, is a pirate ship being menaced by a giant devil. Yeah, he's picking it up. In the ocean. He's picking it up with his pointy tail pointing at it, and there's people people falling off. There is. Remember that scene in, um, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean where they, they get menaced by the, uh, the giant um, squid? It's kind of like that, except the devil. But a really kind of... A bit slightly camp and effeminate. It's, it's a bit. It's a bit. It's a very. It's, it's actually quite sort of forties, fifties, thirties, forties, fifties style devil style. It doesn't look. You know. It looks Weird. like. It looks like. A, to be fair, it looks like a man in an outfit. Well, it looks like a Halloween costume. Kind of. A... Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah, this. This. It, it actually looks like Ming the Merciless because he's got yeah. the pointy ears in a in a in a devil's outfit, complete yeah. with. You know, it would say on the advert, includes horny tail. Just speaking of horns, is it me or are those horns in the wrong place on his head? Because they look like they go front to back, not side to side. So. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks like he's got a front horn and a back horn, whereas the devil would probably have a side <laughs> horn, a left horn and a right horns. horn. He's got, he's, got, so. he's got port and aft horns. He's got front, you know, he's, he's all wrong. He's all wrong. It is all wrong, sort of him, because I'm not quite sure where that cape is coming from as well. No. And, he, and you notice he's got no kind of genitalia, so he's no, in that, by rights, his big devil cock and balls would be dangling in that water, but there's, there's none to be seen. <laughs> not that I'm advocating that, but he has got a tail coming out of his leg, so who knows? It's so bad. I mean, and, I mean again, it, it, it's a recognisable pirate ship. It's a recognisable sort of 1930s style devil in an outfit. Mm. But the whole, but the whole menagerie of nonsense that's going on. But and above the devil's head is that crown that's placed quite provocatively. I have no idea what the hell this game is. Do you know, I'll bet, I'll bet that this game is you've got to wander around the decks of a pirate ship, collecting, <laughs> picking stuff up and dropping stuff off. It's, it's got that written all over it. Do you see what it says in the small yellow print on there? Mm, Soon to be released, at? the Adventures of Bond, Basildon Bond, starring <laughs> oh. Ross Abbott. <laughs> Imagine if this imagine if this picture sort of thing replaced the devil with Russ Abbott. They should have. They should have done that. You know, so it's just I want I really want to see that game. A Basildon Bond Russ Abbott game. I bet it's well atmospheric. I think there was one. I seem to remember that kind of thing. I mean we've had a super grand game, and as we found out today, there's an Alfreda's aim pet game. So in fact we must track these down and Russ Abbott if he's in any game. Because he made basically made a career out of impersonating Tommy Cooper in a Superman outfit, really. Which is weird, isn't it? Anyway, that's, <laughs> that's, a, whole, that's Blund- a whole separate was thing. It, was it Blunderman? Blunderman? Uh, it was Cooperman. Cooperman, that was it. It was Cooperman. God, but he also did Basildon Bond and a number of other wacky characters. That that Russ Abbott, it was hilarious. I've never... I When I associate like big devil's god type things with the sea, I, I, I instantly go to Poseidon. I've never associated the devil with the ocean. No. And I also am wondering now, looking at that, how long that devil's legs are, because if he stood up in the ocean and that ocean's deep, you know, his legs must be like three miles long. No, no wonder he's <laughs> terrifying. So it's all proportionally wrong and weird. And why is the devil in the sea? Why is he picking up a pirate ship? Why has the pirate ship got a pink flag instead of a black flag and skull and crossbones? Why is the devil's crown writing written in some kind of weird multicolour rainbow font? Why is there the world's largest drop shadow on it all? 
Um, why, have, why have they put a stroke and a drop shadow on the same graphic? Why have they broken all the rules? Why stop breaking the rules? They've even got a shadow on the crown. It's just stop putting shadow on it. You know, there's, there's so much wrong with it that the only thing you can say, and they've even got the classic, you know, cut out the probe software from or something else, stick it on with a bit of copied X. Rubbish. Yeah. Just classic crapvert. And it's and the thing is, it's not even it's not even out in the shops that game. You have to actually get it from Mitcham Road, London. <laughs> <laughs> get, that by, get from his house from Probe Software if you went round there it's just some guy's house like, oh, yeah. tell you a copy <laughs> they do they do welcome dealers home of the devil's crown there you go that's our crap birds Jeff Capes Sword and, Border and Shadow and the devil's crown again all these will be on the website for you to enjoy go have a look at them uh, go to zap to the past.com and then go to crap birds to have a look at them um, <sighs> awful all right, let's round up. Uh, what was going on in the charts this month? There's <clears throat> probably not much change from last month, actually. The top 30, well, top 10, I'm not going to go through all these, but the top 10 of Commodore games, we had Graeme Gucci's Test Cricket. Yeah. Uh, at least it's not, well, better than Ian Botham's. <laughs> yeah, it did win that battle. International Tennis. Yeah, we like, we like that. that. Yeah, Frank Ghost Hollywood. Yeah, yeah great. we really like that. Kick, kickstart, good. Always good. Pit Stop 2. Yep. Good. Action Biker. <laughs> yeah. Soft Aid. Good Still cause. There. Yeah, good cause. Uh, Elite. Get out the chart, Elite. Go now. <laughs> Go, yeah. Away with you to Dizzo. <laughs> Get out. Go and trade between Dizzo or and Lave. <laughs> Get out uh, of the chart. Hypersports at number two. Yeah, you can see that. Yeah, it's really good. And number one, I think, still is way of the exploding fist. Of course, of course, and I think going to take some some moving. I uh, think I don't see in those. What we got else? Some other stuff that are in the damn buster still at number eleven. Get uh, to a kill at thirteen. <sighs> Did you know that's that's horrifying? <clears throat> that five aside game we looked at last week is at <sighs> seventeen. Like Annie Rog, yeah. Last time, uh, finest keeper spy hunters in there. Yeah. More, uh, you know, Tour de France, year old that. dross. Tour de France in at 23 and 2 Calder and Jet Set Willie 2 that's bad Mr. Do anyway there you go there's the chart so Wade Explain if it's still riding high what we got coming up next issue uh, in issue 7 this is a bit of a barnstormer really we've got Paradroid Ooh. this will be interesting we've got uh, Winter Games imagine this get, this I mean, is going to be Winter epic games. isn't Winter it games Wizardry Paradroid. in there goodness uh, Wizardry's in there we've uh, we've got now this confused me actually because we've got World Cup 2 and World Cup Soccer mm. um which is kind of confusing because this is November 1985 and the World Cup is not until summer of 1986. <laughs> it's future-proof. Because I know it's not 1984 because that's when the Olympics were. So I know it's 1986. I think it was Mexico, 1986. So we've got that. Uh, William Wobbler, I remember that. Steve Davis's snooker. That should be fun. Karatika. Um, <laughs> Karatika's in there. Hunter Patrol. Wow, yeah. Uh, I seem to remember that being okay. Yeah, good. Um Axis Assassin of the That's another good um, one. Karatika, yeah. God, there's some Karatika. good ones in there. Wow. Ha- Hacker. It's an interesting yeah. game. Ro- Robin of Sherwood as well. And Sabre Wolf. So that's a kind of a playoff, actually. We'll have a look both of them together, mm. probably, because they're quite similar-ish games. Then there's Nonsense. There's something called Sorcerer Attack, Star, Cross. Just a game called Stealth. <laughs> Wizard's Lair. I seem to remember that being good. Yeah, Wizard's Lair was like the Attic Attack type yeah, game, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, yeah so be. some decent stuff to look forward to. Also, Doughboy. I'm not sure about Crusade in Europe or Castles of Dr. Creep. Why does the rats sound like it's not going to be very good? Is that based on that? Uh, no, the rats <laughs> is... Uh, we won't be looking at the rats. I've not mentioned that. Oh, is that an adventure, is it? It's a, te- it's a text adventure no, based on the James that. Herbert book. No, we don't do that. Oh, um, goodness so me. I thought so, if it was that. Yeah, it is. It is indeed that. Goodness uh, me. I, seen, I, I remember it. I think it's one of those with some visuals in as well. little computer people in there as well. Uh, it, 
Uh, it does say activism little computer people kit, yes. Another gold medal. So we've got two mm-hmm. gold medals. Interesting to look at little computer people. I'm not sure maybe a brief dip because it's not really i don't know we'll have to think about whether we what we do about that one yeah we'll have a think we may it's a human human simulator yeah you just watch (laughs) someone in a house yeah which which i do regularly from my back bedroom but let's uh (laughs) let's not talk about that (laughs) you were you you were wrong to buy that telescope (laughs) i told you at the time uh right okay um he lives across the road from me that's why i told him not to buy it (laughs) it's very true he always pulls the curtains closed, but not always fully. <laughs> no, on purpose. Uh, on that note, we will leave you. We've been uh, up to the past. I've been Adrian Mills. You've been... I've been Graham Ruddings. Um, and we look forward to talking to you next time about Commodore 64 games. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games as well as the music, sights, sounds and news from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap64 magazine published at the time. We will be back next week with another podcast, so do please join us. Until then, please head over to zaptothepast.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. You will also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Zap to the Past. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe and see you next time.